Well, listen, we're starting a brand new series today entitled Love, Fight, Win. Obviously, it's a relationship series. For anybody who's been here any length of time, I've been here 10 years and at least every other year, sometimes several years in a row, I've done a relationship series. We've talked about marriages and families and friendships and siblings and every degree in between. And the conversation I want to have this coming month is a conversation just on relationships in general. So whether you're married or want to be married or you have a significant other or you have siblings in your life or if you have friends in your background, I believe this is something that you can glean from. So I want to encourage you to lean in. The conversation we're going to have is found right in the title, Love, Fight, Win. Let's say those three words together. Ready? Love, fight, win. What I want to talk about is to love enough to fight in your relationships and for your relationships and fight enough to win. Don't just fight a little bit and tap out. Fight enough to get a win in your relationships. And one of the last weeks, we're going to talk about what does a win really look like? What does it really mean to have a winning marriage, a winning relationship with your friends? And so, again, this is something that impacts all of us. I mean, at the end of the day, when I have a conversation on relationships, what I have found is that sometimes people are on the extreme to say, you know, hey, relationships aren't very spiritual. Why are we talking about relationships that are not very spiritual? Or on the other side, what I found is why sometimes there's a little bit of pushback. I have found that lots of people are attracted because at the end of the day, a lot of us are in relationships and we have found that we're struggling and we all want to figure out how to be more successful in winning relationships. Now, here's what I know is true and what you know is true is that relationships have such a strong potential for pain and for progress in our lives that you better believe that something that is significant and powerful as relationships that God has a lot to say. So while you desire relationships and I desire relationships, what I want you to know today is God desires relationships for us. It's God's heart, the God we serve, the God we follow, the God of Scripture is a God of relationships. He's relational in who he is in his very nature, in his very essence. In the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are in perfect relationship and harmony and unity throughout eternity. And that's not only who God is, but God has relationship with his creation. When he made us, he's not disconnected, but because God is relational, God wants relationship with us. God doesn't want just relationship with us. God wants us to experience and have relationship with each other. Because we are created in his image, God has wired us for relationship. God wants us to walk in successful relationships. And so the conversation I want to have throughout this series is a big conversation. And while I don't repeat content, if you've been here long enough, I don't go back and re-preach old messages. Anytime I have a relationship series, I'm looking to say something new and fresh and helpful. The one thing you'll find that I say every single relationship series is a scripture found in the Old Testament. It's found at the beginning of creation. When God made everything perfect and everything good, when God made the very first man and set him there in the middle of a perfect paradise, he looked at a man living in solidarity and alone, and he said this. Every voice, read it together. It is not good. Say those two words. It's not good for a man to be alone. And so God looked at a perfect paradise and a perfect man, and you have to ask, was God, was this a recognition or was this a declaration? Like, was God looking at man who didn't have relationships and just said, hey, you know, that, that, that doesn't look right? Or is that a declaration of God looking at a person without relationships saying something needs to change? At the end of the day, God did something about it, and God made a helper for Adam, and Adam and Eve began to have children. And so we see marital relationships, we see sibling relationships, and while we see relationships increasing, something that always happens with a relationship, y'all need to know this, every time there are relationships, there's a potential for conflict. How many people's ever had a fight with a friend, coworker, neighbor, sibling, on the way to church, almost got a divorce? Wave at me. 
you, you, those two things, they go hand in hand. So God has put in us a crave for relationship. And anytime we're in relationship, you will inevitably experience conflict in that relationship. And what I want to lean into for the next several weeks starting today is this idea that it's in the crave and it's in the conflict where we tend to get relationships wrong. When I say it's in the crave, again, God put in you a desire for relationship. Even if you're an inward, uh, you're an introvert, even though you may not be an out loud people person, no matter who you are and your personality type, all of us desire and crave relationship. The challenge is, the reason some of us are struggling in relationship is we're craving to be in relationships with people we have no business being in relationship in. When you're in relationship with people that have intentionally different values, different purposes, and different pursuits in you, it will inevitably put you in a place of pain. Some of you are still pursuing somebody that cheated on three of your friends, and they convince you they're not going to cheat on you. I'm just telling you, you got pain in your future. you got to find yourself desiring the right kind of people to get into relationship. Find the right best friend, the right person to live your life with, and I promise you, your relationships will get better based on the quality of person you decide to be in relationship with. We've got to change our crave. And then no matter who you're in relationship with, again, conflict always follows connection. What I want to talk about next week, and we'll get into just a little bit today, is when you have connection, you're going to have conflict. And the reason some of us are struggling in relationship is we have no idea how to do conflict well. And conflict tends to drive us apart instead of really what it's intended to do is drive us closer together. And so I, uh, I know this, and here's what I want to tell you today. No matter who you are, uh, and I know already preaching this first service, there's some of you that are just going to be uh, skeptical at this statement. But I believe with all of my heart you can win in every single relationship in your life if you'll take a page out of the playbook of your designer and you'll do relationship God's way we got to stop doing it our way and start doing it God's way. And I promise you, we can win in relationships. Let's say those three words, love, fight, win. You ready? Love, fight, win. You can win in relationships. I have up here on my, on my stand, this is, a, this is a Ryobi drill. And this is true for any, any tool, any utility item in your household. Anytime you buy a new item and you unpack it, you'll find a page of instructions of how to use it. But now, before you ever get to the page of instructions of how to use it, you'll find two or three pages of warnings of how not to use it. And here's what you need to know. A long time ago, when people had this thing called common sense, that's another message, you'd only find one or two warnings. But now, you'll find a list of warnings. And I promise you, behind every warning is some idiot who did that. And now they have to say, don't do that, so they don't get sued again. So this is a, a, this is a, a cordless screwdriver is the official title. Some people call it a drill. <laughs> this is, in, uh, this is in, in my garage. I actually use it. You can see that the power's down, I noticed, on the battery. I actually use this. Some of you just have them for show. This is, uh, this is actually four warnings. There's two pages of warnings in the booklet that came with this device. And I want you to hear four of the warnings. This is just four. You ready? This product is not intended to be used as a dental drill, which means... Somebody said, I'm not going to Owens Dental. I'm not going to Singing River. I'm not going to Johnson Mayhan. Like someone, someone did that and thought it was a good idea. Now, it didn't turn out well, so Dr. Ryobi was sued. And so now they have to tell us, don't put this in your mouth. It's not a dental drill. Here's another one. Do not use underwater. You got to tell people that. Do not operate while driving. While I like to maximize the time of my life, there's nothing like driving to your destination and working on something at the same time. Not a good idea. 
you'll kill somebody. Here's the last one. Do not leave running while unattended. Now, here's what you need to know about that is anytime you use a tool outside of the way it was designed and intended to be used, it will either hurt you or it will hurt somebody else. And relationship is a tool that God has given us for us to maximize our potential to find connection. And a lot of us have experienced a lot of pain because we've been doing it the wrong way or we've hurt other people because we've been doing it the wrong way. And so we've stopped using the drill. We've stopped believing in the drill. And I'm just telling you, we can win in relationships if we will come back to God's design of marriage, God's design of friendship, God's design of family, we can win in relationships. How many people want to win in relationships? So the problem is, is again, a lot of us, if we'll look back over our shoulder, even though God has put in us a craving, a desire for relationship, some of us, we were raised in homes where our fathers or our mothers or someone else significant in our family a key relationship wounded us. We went through mental or emotional or physical abuse. Or maybe it came through a friend, significant friends that you counted on, that you thought had your back, and they gossiped on you and turned on you. Maybe you're here and you were married, married once or twice, and your spouse cheated on you or hurt you. And now here you are in your mind, and you've written off relationships because you don't believe relationships can ever work for you. And what I want you to know is, if you're taking notes, don't let unhealthy experiences give you unhealthy expectations. Just because you had broken relationships doesn't mean you have to keep having broken relationships. You can win. I can win. We can win if we will do relationship God's way. And so with that in mind, here's, here's what I want to lean into is this idea is if we're going to win in relationships, we can't quit on relationships, but we can't continue to do them the wrong way. Don't quit don't continue. Come on, everybody say that. Lawrenceburg, don't quit, don't continue. Shoals, say it. Don't quit and don't continue. I saw some research in preparation for this series several months ago, and what they found is a significant decline in personal significant relationships that people have. 25 years ago, what they found was the average American said they had six significant relationships. They had six besties, six homeboys, six people that they counted on. It was maybe a spouse or a fan. Like, Hey, if you're in trouble, who are you hanging out with? Who are you doing life with? Who has your back? The average person 25 years ago could come up with six names. Only 2% said they had no significant person in their life. 2% no significant, the average six. Here we are 25 years later, and the same research says the average person no longer has six significant relationships. The average person only has two significant relationships. And while the average person has only two, almost 25%, one in four out of every person in this room, every person in Lawrenceburg, every person watching online, every person on our Shoals campus, one out of every four says they have nobody that's significant in their life. I don't have any friends. I don't have a bestie. I don't have a spouse. I don't have anybody I can count on. And there's lots of reasons why some people are saying people are too busy to have relationships. But let me tell you what I came today to say is we live in a culture and a society that's a camp culture. They give up too quick. We have not enough people. We have too many people not getting married, too many people giving up on marriage too quick, too many people bailing out on friends too fast. We get offended, so we cut ties. We get upset, so we walk away. We cancel too quick. And I'm just telling you, you got to quit quitting on relationships if you're going to have relationships. We serve a God who is a God who doesn't quit on relationships. 
I guess none of you have been affected by that. I don't know about you, but I deserve to be quit on. I deserve to be given up on. But I have a God who hasn't quit on me, who hasn't given up on me. His word and his promises to me that he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll never turn his back on me. What would happen if in our relationships we wouldn't quit on people, we wouldn't give up on people, we wouldn't walk away from relationships every time we got our feelings hurt? What would happen if we really began to love, fight, and win for relationships? Think about the God we serve. There is a, a chapter in Luke chapter 15. It's called the lost chapter. Now, it's not lost because the chapter's lost. It's called the lost chapter because in Luke chapter 15, it records three parables that talk about people or persons that were lost. And God teaches these parables, and he tells us, for example, there is a woman who has ten coins. And even though she loses one coin, it would be easy to say, but I still got nine coins. But the Bible says, Jesus teaches and says, this widow woman tears her house apart. She flips it upside down and she sweeps the entire house because she says, I got to find that one coin. And then he goes on and talks about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And even though he had a hundred sheep, one sheep went astray. And it would have been easy to say, I still got 99. The Bible says the shepherd said, I got to go find the one who got away. And he continued, he left the 99 to go seek the one. The third story is the parable of the father with two sons. And one son abandoned his father, cut ties, cut relationships, and cut and ran. And the father didn't say, I got one good son. He said, I, I'm going to stand out and I'm going to wait for the return of my son every single day. And it is a picture of our heavenly father. I was a son who ran out. I was a sheep who went astray. I was a coin that was lost. And God continued to pursue me, seek me, even though I didn't deserve it. And neither did you. And if we have a God who doesn't quit and we're called to be in his image, we got to quit quitting on relationships if we're going to have good relationships. Don't quit. Don't, everybody say that. Say, don't quit. It's easy to say. Some of you are like, but I'm quitting. Don't quit. But you don't know my marriage. Don't quit. But you don't know what my friends did to me. Don't quit. Every time you quit, you put yourself in the place where God said it's not good to be. It's not good for people, for you, for me to be alone. So don't quit and don't continue. You can't continue to do relationships your way and ever expect them to win. So if anything's going to change in our relationships, something has to change in us. I think for all of us, this is true, and I can be guilty of this as well, is sometimes we always expect change to happen on the other side. If they will do this, we can be this. I just want to just challenge you with the mentality, while there is responsibility on the other side of every relationship, don't forget your responsibility. I can, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about you. Go ahead, Pastor. So let's do you. Don't quit. Don't continue. Don't give up on relationships, but yet don't continue to do them the same way over and over and over and over. So what does it look like? Where do we take our cues from? What I want to tell you is that at some point, I think the church, if we're going to be the church and we're going to be God's people, we got to come back to God's word. God's word is a book of principles. Everybody say principles. There's principles on how to parent. There's principles on how to handle finances. There's principles on how to have a relationship with God. There's principles all throughout the scriptures. And what I have found is if we're going to do this thing right, and I'm just going to tell you, my goal is not to give you four self-helps that you can go read in a magazine while you're checking out at Foodland. My goal is in part, while I'm going to give you principles, they're going to be God's given principles out of God's word because that's the only thing that's going to rewire our desire to do relationships God's way. And what I found is a lot of times we're praying about stuff that are already principles. If it's a principle in God's word, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to pray about, do I move in with this person? I mean, if you're a Christian, I'm just telling you, you don't. 
If there's somebody who doesn't love Jesus, you don't need to pray, Lord, is this the person who's right for me? If they don't love Jesus, they're not the person for you because God's principle is don't be unequally yoked with those, come on, who are unbelievers. Don't, you don't need to have a bestie in your life. I'm not saying don't invest in people. I'm not saying don't have a relationship with people, but you have no business having a best friend in your life with different values and different desires than somebody who doesn't want to serve God and somebody who does. So listen, we got to get the principles right, and it can limit some of the wasted time we're spending on praying. We need to live this stuff out. God's word, his, his doctrine helps drive our decisions. What we believe are boundaries. So let's get back to the word, and we can start doing relationships better. Here's what Jesus said. Anybody need help with relationships? Anybody feel like they need help? You Maybe you got some struggle in your family, struggle in your home. Maybe you're single looking for somebody. You got some chaos with your kids. Wave at me if you need some help with relationships. Okay, you ready? Here's what Jesus said. Watch this. John chapter 8, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, let's read this together, every voice, everybody, all of our campuses. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Come on. Anybody feel like you're trying to figure it out and you feel like you're in darkness? Jesus said, you don't have to be in darkness anymore. Well, how do we get out of darkness? Because you will have the light that leads to life. What he's saying is, and this is bigger than just relationships, but obviously relationships is included. He's saying as long as you're following everybody else that's leading you into darkness, you're going to continue to be in the dark. But if you want to find the path that you need to walk in in relationships and marriages and friendships, how to handle conflict in families, he says, if you'll follow me, I'm the light of the world. You won't have to walk in darkness anymore. If you're taking notes, you can't have life in your relationships until you follow the light of relationships. We got to follow Jesus. So we're going to follow Jesus for the next several weeks. How many people are down for following Jesus? We're going to follow Jesus. So I wrote this in my notes. I thought this is pretty important. You don't need to write this down. You just need to hear it. I've heard people make this, converse, make this comment about all kinds of things. Somebody has to be the adult. Somebody has to be the adult. And that's true. And that's true in relationships. You can't act like the child you're trying to raise and raise a child. Somebody has to be the adult. But we're talking to church people today. Hopefully, we're talking to people who love Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, I hope you fall in love with Jesus because it will be the best decision you've ever made. But here's what you need to hear. In relationships, somebody has to be the Christian. Somebody has to set the standard. Somebody has to set the expectation. Someone has to say, no, this is how we're going to live. This is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Somebody has to be the Christian. So if you're waiting on somebody else to be the Christ follower and set the standard, you might be waiting too long and miss what God has for you. But if you say, as for me and my house, if I'm the only one in my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do relationships God's way. And if I do them God's way, I can expect God's best. Somebody's got to be the Christian. So who's going to set the standard? Come on. So let's talk about the standard, and I'm going to give a word, and, you know, preparing for this message, preparing for this series, I was like, Lord, they're going to hear it, and they're just going to quit, they're just going to quit listening. What is the standard for relationships? We're going to do relationships right. Again, I'm talking about every relationship. Every relationship you're in, how do we do relationships well? How do we succeed? How do we thrive? And the standard for relationships from God's perspective is love is love. And I want us just to hear some words Jesus said. Probably many of us have heard this. We're familiar with this. But in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40, I want us to listen. Jesus is asked a question. Hey, Jesus, out of all the commandments, don't, don't lie, don't steal, don't take God's name in vain, don't watch TikToks we shouldn't watch. Like, Lord, what's the most, what's the main thing we can do? What's the most important commandment? Come on, some of you watching some TikTok you need to tune off of. Not you, the person next to you. <laughs> Teacher, 
which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he doesn't stop. He goes on and says, a second is, everybody say those next two words, equally important. Here's the command that all of us as Christ followers, as people of faith are given. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then I want you to hear this. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, my desire for you in every area of life, he's saying what I'm calling you to do and everything I have for you to accomplish can only be fulfilled when you walk in an attitude of love. And when I'm talking about love, what we need to always understand and always come back to, that love is not a feeling. Now, I am still in, I remember, the, I remember anybody remember being in love? Like, you can't eat. You got to eat something. I can't, I'm in love. You can't sleep at night always thinking about the person that borders on stalking, but don't go that far. <laughs> like you're in, no, no, I'm not talking about love from God's perspective, the love we're called to, not just this way, the love that's going to make our relationships great, the love that's going to make us have winning relationships is not warm fuzzies and numb buzzies and goosebumps and, ooh, I feel something. That's all great, but there's going to be days you don't feel anything other than choking them out. What's going to get you through a winning relationship is love, L-O-V-E, love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is an action. Love is an attitude. Love is not a feeling. Jesus said this. You all got to get this. One of the greatest titles I think Jesus was ever given, while it was called at that time intended to be a slander against his character, it's the greatest thing in my estimation he could have ever been called, that he was a friend to sinners. And I'm just thankful that Jesus didn't tap out on me. I deserve to be tapped out on. I deserve to not be pursued. Come on, is anybody thankful that God gave you grace, God pursued you, God didn't give up on you? He's a friend. He loves, loves sinners. And so what would happen if a group of people, what would happen if a room full of people, what would happen if three campuses full of people started truly loving the way Jesus loved in the relationships? Because Jesus, he calls us not just to love our neighbors, calls us to love our spouse, calls us to love our family, calls us to love our enemies. He's saying the solution to all the conflict in your life, the problem's not the conflict. The problem is how you're addressing the conflict. And until you start really loving sacrificially, you'll never really have the relationships you can have. Let me just kind of just take a little veer off to the side and maybe try to help us understand really what love is. How many people in this room have kids that always listen to every command? Okay, how many people have kids and they just don't listen? Wave at me. So here's what I have found. I have three kids and they're all, my oldest, my son is my youngest. He's about to be 18. So our, our kids are growing and grown. But growing up, man, there's things that I wanted my kids to do. Like, hey, I, I need you to make your bed. I need you to do this. I need you to take the dog out. I need you to fold your clothes. And what I have found is, at least in my home with my kids, is that in those relationships, every relationship, one of the things that founds relationships is something called submission, which means somebody has to be in charge and somebody gets the final word. Here at this church, I get to be in charge and I get the final word. Because if we let everybody have an opinion, we would have chaos. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, we can't listen. Like, we like more music, less music, more preaching, less. We like King James. Like, no, this is what we're doing. Now, with, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm accountable for that. So in order for this, this, this church to operate, somebody has to be in authority and everybody else has to be in submission. Amen. 
in your work, in order for your work to function, everybody's got an opinion of how the job should be done. But only one person, the CEO or your direct report or your boss or your shift, they get to have the say and everybody else has to go along. That's the only way this thing works is through submission. Everybody say submission. What I have found is the only way families work is through some level of submission. Children have to submit to their parents. Children can't run the show. That's another series, but let me say it so you need to write it down. Children can't run the show. They don't get an equal say. So they have to submit to their parents. But the problem is, and here's what I found, this is what I'm saying this for, is because what I have found is there are times in my life having to submit to people and people submitting to me, even with my kids, that they really weren't submitting. They just was doing what was easy for them. They were doing, they was doing what they didn't like or what they liked to do. You really know submission kicks in when disagreement begins. Let me say that again. You really know submission kicks in when disagreement begins. Because if I don't agree with that, but I'm still going to submit to it, that's when really submission comes. When I don't want to do that, I don't think I should do that, I don't think I should have to do that, but I'm going to submit myself to the authority over me, whether it's a boss, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a parent, whether it's a police officer, I'm going to submit to the authorities over me. That's when submission really kicks in is when disagreement begins. Are you all track with me? When they say, I don't want to do that, but I'm going to do that, that's real submission. Let me take it another step further. Love isn't a feeling. It's a decision and an action. If you're taking note, love only kicks in when conflict begins. It's easy to love people when they're lovable. It's easy to love them when they're a good friend to you. It's easy to love them when he's treating you well. It's easy to love people when they got your back. It's easy when they're being good to you. Real love kicks in when the conflict begins. You weren't loving them before. You just had a warm feeling about them. But when I love you when you're unlovable, when I love you when I should walk out, when I love you when I want to walk out, when I love you when I want to get a divorce, when I love you when you're getting on my nerves and it's that time of the month, don't even sweat me up here. I've been married. I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you all the way, all the time. That's what love is. God didn't love us when it was easy. God loved us when it was hard. God loved us when he shouldn't have loved us. God loved us when he should have gave up on us. And as Christ followers and people who say we are like God, we need to make sure we're following his path of loving when people are unlovable. Love only begins when the conflict begins. Come on, we got to get back to loving when it's not easy. You got to kick that love into gear. I'm going to love my husband. It's not easy right now, but I'm going to love him. I'm going to love my wife right now. I'm going to love my friend. She shouldn't have said that. She shouldn't have hurt my feelings. He shouldn't have did that. They shouldn't have behaved that way. The world will say, cancel them, divorce them, walk away from them. Love enough to fight. Now, I'm sure there are lots of us in this room who've had conflict, and if you told me your story, you would tell me how much you have fought for your friends and for your family and for your marriage. This is not a debate of who's fighting the hardest. This is a conversation of how you fight with an attitude of love that I will love when it's not easy. I will stay in the fight when other people would have given up. I'm going to push through when I could have been pushed out. My friend is worth it. My family's worth it. My siblings are worth it. My bestie's worth it. Come on. Stop putting ourselves in the position where we're in the place where God said it's not good to be. If you cancel everybody who hurts you and you walk away from everybody who offends you and you, you tap out on everybody who disappoints you, you will be standing alone. At some point, we have to fight the way Jesus fought for us. We have to fight for each other. The Bible says this about us. A friend loves at all times. Everybody, let's say that together. A friend loves at all times. 
Now, just stop. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to think about all the times you shouldn't have loved them. But a friend loves at all times. And so if this is going to click, if this is going to change, if we're going to change the trajectory of our relationship, if we keep waiting on them to change, some of us are going to be waiting a long time. At some point, we have to take responsibility for the relationships we're in. We have to rewire our desire through the Word of God, and that ultimately is a call to love. So I want to give us, um, I want to give us four words, because if I don't give you something else, you're like, I didn't preach. Uh, and so I want, to give you, I want to give you just four words for a few minutes as we get ready to close. These will help us. Now, again, this is, this is what you may hope they do, what your friends do for you, what your spouse does for you. I'm, I'm challenging all of us in this room. If we're going to love enough to fight, here's four words I want to give you to help move you forward in your relationships. You ready? Number one, attention. Everybody say attention. Every relationship has to have attention. If you ignore that person, you will break that relationship. You can only ignore somebody so long till they go away, which is why it's important that you don't have 5,000 friends. Some of you are on the other side. You're like, Pastor, I got more people than I know what to do with. Then trim the crowd. Cut some people loose. I'm just telling you, if you can get back and I can get back to having three or four or five really good friends, I mean the people you can call on, the people you can count on, the people who are pushing you, the people who are helping you, and you're doing the same for them, you're in a good place in life. But every relationship needs attention. And when you ignore a relationship, when you're not giving that relationship some kind of quality time, some kind of attention, it's going to go away. Now, I can read the room, and some of you are like, Pastor, I know because I'm ready to give up because they're not giving me attention. We're not talking about them. We're talking about, hey, y'all got to help me. I'm talking about you. We got to give people attention. And again, it's easy sometimes in life to neglect people who are important to us. It's just easy. Again, one of the things that was cited in the study I mentioned is people said they don't have as many friends because they're too busy. Make time to give significant people in your life attention. My, uh, my son, he called me. We were out of the country, and he called me. He's like, uh, he's got me on, on video. He's like, Dad, something's wrong with my car. So, you know, I feel kind of helpless. I'm out of the country. I can't help him. He's like, I don't know what it is, but it's making this really crazy noise. And so I'm like, well, what is it? And he takes the phone, and he leans down by the front tire, and he's like, do you hear that? And it's I recognize the sound immediately. He's like, I don't know what it is. I was like, your tire's leaking. He's like, I don't think so. It's coming from underneath the car. And I felt like a failure as a dad that he didn't recognize. That's a leak in a tire. I said, no, that's a leak. I said, the way it's coming out, I said, I would imagine your tire's probably going to be flat in the next couple. I said, go inside the house, come back out in five minutes. I promise your tire will be flat. And if it's not, we'll figure it out. But drive your mom's car until we get home, and we'll figure out when we get home. So he did that. I come home. Look at his car. His, tire, his car is still sitting in the same place, absolutely flat tire. And I'm like, well, let's go put some air in the tire. We'll drive it, go get new tires and, you know, whatever. So we go to pull this tire off. And for the first time, I'm looking at this tire in probably too long. And this tire is bald as some of you. <laughs> it's bald. <laughs> and I'm... And the, and as I pull this tire off, not only is there not much tread left on it, but the tread on the inside is about to come off of the tire. And so I'm looking at this tire that, frankly, nobody should be driving on. And I remember my son just drove this car to Nashville, which y'all know it's 70, which means you're doing 75. 
And just for a moment, I was humbled and I was like, thank you, Jesus, for putting your hand upon my kid because he could have easily had a significant blowout and either got hurt, lost his life, or hurt somebody else and lost their life. Lord, thank you for keeping... Listen, don't, don't ever minimize the grace and the goodness of God. Just because you don't see God working doesn't mean he's not working. I didn't have any idea that tire was in that shape, but God kept my son. Y'all, I give God some praise for the goodness of God in your life. So... So I look at this tire, and here's what I told him. I said, Zach, this is your car. You have to take responsibility for your car, which means every now and then you got to look at stuff. you got to check the tire pressure. you got to look at the tires. you got to check the oil. Like, this is your. You're expecting this vehicle to keep you safe. It's your responsibility to give it some attention. You can't just get in it and abuse it all the time. And then I told him, I said, son, I owe you an apology because you're my son. I know more about cars than you do. I apologize. I didn't pay more attention to these tires. What I'm telling you is this isn't about cars. Cars are going to take you someplace. Relationships are going to take you someplace that nothing else can take you. But you got to give it the time and attention it needs in order for it to be healthy. Everybody say attention. Attention. If you have a struggling relationship, it's because attention is not being given. Number two, acceptance. Acceptance. What I mean by acceptance is every person you're in relationship with has some baggage, has some mess, has some attitude, has some stuff you don't like, has some stuff you wish you could change. But here's what you need to know. If you're going to be in relationship with people, you got to accept some of this stuff because here's a newsflash. Nobody's perfect, including you. The same people that you're trusting to take, like, just accept some of their mess, they're accepting some of your mess. Come on, y'all. There's no perfect people. And if your standard's perfection, you will live life alone. Now, this isn't tolerance. Tolerance is a different conversation. You shouldn't tolerate abuse. You shouldn't tolerate cheating. You shouldn't tolerate. But but there's some stuff, some imperfection that all of us carry that it just takes a level of acceptance. I just accept you for who you are. Number three, appreciation. Every now and then it's important just to go back and say, why are we friends again? Why did I marry you again? what I have found is that when you're in conflict, that's all we tend to focus on is what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And then we get hyper-focused on the problem until the problem divides us apart. And at some point, every relationship, friends, significant others, siblings, we got to come back to, that's right. This is what I love about you. This is what I appreciate about your personality. This is what I appreciate about our friendship. You got to come back the same way. Listen, David told us to do this with God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He said, man, you just need to come back and remember that he redeems our life from destruction. He forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our disease. Don't forget how good of a God you have. And don't forget how good of a friend you have, how good your brother is, how good of a person you're married to. I know they're a mess. I know you got some problems. I know there's some chaos going on. But learn to appreciate the strengths of relationship you do have. And last of all, number four is affection. Everybody say affection. Affection. You got to give that relationship some affection. Again, this is not just romantic relationships, but I mean, like, be willing to go speak life. Go tell them what you love about them. Go put your arms around them. Go hug them. Go grab them. There is rarely a time when I see my daughters when they come home and still my son who lives in the home, when they walk in the door, my wife, when I see her, I walk up and I grab them and I put my arms around them and I don't just hug them. I hold them for a second. I want them to know I love you. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You get on my nerves. I get on your nerves, but we love each other and I'm going to pour affection over you. I'm going to speak life over you. Why? Because if I want a relationship that keeps me out of a bad place, I got to pour affection into it. Attention, acceptance, appreciation, and affection. If you will love that way, regardless of what they do, your relationship can go to a whole nother level. How many people want to win in the relationships you have? So I'm going to pray. I want you to come back next week. We want to talk about how to fight to win.
Week number three, we're going to talk about what does it really mean to have a winning relationship. You can't allow The Bachelor to be your benchmark and social media to be your standard because that's not a win. That doesn't exist. And if that exists, I promise you, you don't want it. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, first of all, I'm thankful for everybody in this room. God, a lot of us are carrying a mess and brokenness and disappointment and broken trust. But I pray in the name of Jesus because you designed us for relationship and you designed relationship. And Father, we won't throw out the drill. I pray, God, we're going to double down on the tool of relationship. I pray, heal us. Give us confidence that we can have a winning marriage. We can have a confidence that we can have winning relationships with our friends. We can win in relationships if we're willing to do it your way. So, Lord, just give us hope to have what you want us to have. Listen, with every head bowed, just for one more minute, this can only begin when we experience the love of Jesus in our life. We can only give what we've received. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, if someone invited you, this is your first Sunday here, you've been here for a little while, I want you to know we're all broken. We all need a Savior. We all need help. We all need hope. And it can only really come from a God who loves us enough to pay the price for our sin and meet us where we are. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, it's simple. It's just saying, hey, I need help. I need forgiveness. And if you'll say that and believe that Jesus can do it, in that moment, he'll make you his child. In that moment, he'll fix a broken relationship between you and him. And in that moment, he'll make you his child forever. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you want to include it in this prayer, you want to pray your own prayer and say, God, help me. He will hear that prayer and he will answer you right where you are. If you want, you can pray after me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you love me in spite of me. And you know all my struggles and all my shame and all my sin. But I confess it to you. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and be my Savior. I put all of my hope in you. Help me to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank the Lord today?